So it's remarkable to pause and think about how good God has always been to Calvary Community Church and who will continue to be faithful every step of the way. As we continue to think about the way forward and continue our series called Journey, How to Walk with God, I want to invite you this morning to grab a Bible, if you have it, and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Those of you here in the room or listening online, Matthew chapter 4 is what we're going to be studying this morning as we continue to think about what it looks like for us to walk with God each step of the way into the future. As we turn to that part of scripture, and we'll get there in a moment, I want to begin by having us consider the idea of an incomplete picture. I want us to think this morning about what it means to have a picture of something that is incomplete, and because it's incomplete, you don't know the purpose of the photo. Let me illustrate this way. I'll show you a photo uh, that my wife and I posted of ourselves recently, uh, and you'll notice us out in front of our front door, and myself, and my wife, Danny, and my son, Noah, uh, and here we are just kind of smiling as a family. Well, at least my wife and I are, and our one-year-old's being, you know, like a one-year-old is. Uh, you might wonder where our daughter is, and you'd see this picture, and you might just think this is a nice photo of their family because it's an incomplete photo. And because it's an incomplete photo, you don't know the purpose of the photo. But let me show you the complete photo and it'll show it right here. If you can't read, it says Howard party of five coming March of 2022. Yeah, we're excited. Oh man, just our church growth strategy, one child at a time. Uh, just thrilled for that. And just so um, grateful to the Lord. And, and, and here's why I share this little photo and this little illustration with you. Two reasons. Number one is we're excited and we just want you to join in our joy. That's just the first reason. And, and number two is because I want us to think about the fact that when you saw this part of the photo, you saw a part of the photo, but because you didn't see the whole picture, you didn't know the purpose the purpose of this photo was to announce that we're pregnant, to announce that we're expecting a baby girl in March. That was the purpose of the photo. And when we don't see the whole picture on something, we won't actually understand the purpose. I think this is important for all of us this morning as we consider the subject at hand. This morning, I want to talk to you about the Bible. I want to talk to you about how Jesus loved and knew his Bible and I want us to think about this picture we have of the Bible in all of our minds. Because here's what I'm convinced of. That me and you and almost all Christians at all times have somewhat of an incomplete picture of the Bible. I think just through all of our experience, we can start to fall into a picture or an image of the Bible that's incomplete. And when we have an incomplete view, an incomplete picture of the Bible, we will not understand its purpose let me give you four examples here. From time to time, I'll hear people refer to the Bible as a rule book, as a rule book. Now here's why that's an incomplete picture, because it's true that there are rules in the Bible. The Bible prefers the words command or commandments or ordinances. There are things that God commands us and tells us to do in the Bible. And yet if your only view of the Bible is it's a list of rules that I am supposed to obey while here on earth, you will ultimately have a smaller picture of the Bible and you won't understand its purpose. Incomplete picture, you won't understand the purpose. The Bible contains rules, but it is not primarily a rule book. The next is people tend to treat the Bible like the Christian constitution. Here's what I mean. In our country, we have local and state and federal laws, all sorts of different legal things coming on together, but what's the final authority we appeal to? It's the constitution. And some people look to the Bible that way that the Bible is our highest and our final authority, and we want to affirm that. The Bible is our final and last and highest authority when it comes to who God is, how the church is supposed to function, and how we're supposed to follow after Jesus. But the problem is, 
This is an incomplete picture. Because if your principal view of the Bible is this is just the document I go to to settle theological disputes, that's a true thing about the Bible. It's just not the whole picture. And if you don't have the whole picture, you won't know the purpose. Again, others look at the Bible like this, like it's an encyclopedia about God. And again, I want to affirm that the Bible reveals who God is to us. Were it not for the Bible, we would be left to guess what God is all about. So in some ways, the Bible does tell us about God. But if your simple view of the Bible is the Bible is the information I need to know about God, and it's principally about knowledge of who God is, and that's just what the Bible is. It's just information about God. I think you've got an incomplete picture of what the Bible is, and you won't understand its purpose. And then finally, I've heard people say it this way, and I understand where it's coming from. I just think it's incomplete that the Bible is God's love letter to us. And again, I want to affirm that from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible reveals God's great love to us. But if you slip into the place where you think the Bible is principally a letter from God to you, you'll actually narrow down the purpose of the Bible because God does love you. And yet he is doing something so much more throughout the Bible than just simply having a relationship with you. So again, when we have an incomplete view of something, when we have an incomplete picture of something, we will not know its purpose. And when we have an incomplete picture of the Bible, we will not know its purpose. And that's why the Bible gives us a phrase, a phrase that's meant to give us the photo, the full photo of what the Bible is actually about. And the three-word phrase that we find all throughout the Bible and how it describes itself as this, that the Bible is the word of God. It is God's word. It is what God has to say. This is what the Bible gives to us as a three-word phrase for how we should understand what's written in its pages. The Bible is the word of God. Now, over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, we'll see this idea of the word of God being unpacked. And I think no more is it more profound and powerful to me than in Hebrews chapter four and verse 12. Here's what it says. It says, for the word of God is alive and it's active. I love those two descriptions. Get this, it is talking about your Bible. And when you read the Bible on your own, when we read the Bible here, when you and your small group read the Bible as a group, the word of God is two things. It's alive. You'll notice it says it's alive. It's not some dead words written on an ancient page. It is living. And then it says that it is active. The Greek word behind the word active here is the word energis. It's where we get energy from. Like every time you read the Bible, you are reading not just words that give you information or facts about God, but you are reading a text that in some mysterious way is alive and it is active in your life. Meaning every single time you and I open our Bibles and read our Bibles in some mysterious way, the Holy Spirit of God is alive and working and active. There's energy in our life. That's what the word of God is. Not just information about God, but in some mysterious way through the Holy Spirit working on our heart. And here's why this is such a beautiful promise for each of us to cling to this morning. From time to time, um, perhaps you're like me, um, you'll sit down and try to do some kind of quiet time or some kind of time of personal Bible study. And if you're anything like me, you've had times of personal Bible study or quiet times when it just feels like God is in the chair right next to you. You ever had that? Where it just feels like God is so present and the words are popping off the page and you feel like your prayers are being heard. You just sense God's presence in the room with you. But then again, if you're anything like me, you've had moments where you do quiet times and it doesn't feel like God is present at all. It doesn't feel like you're getting anything out of it. 
I had this this last Wednesday. I was doing my quiet time, and I just felt completely distant from God. I felt like my prayers were rote. My mind was distracted with all the to-do lists I had throughout the day. I was completely distracted, and I didn't feel like I got anything out of it. But you know what the epic promise of this sentence is? That if it's true that the word of God is alive and active, if it's true that God's word is not just words on a page, but somehow mysteriously the Holy Spirit of God active in my heart, it means that whether or not I have a quiet time where it feels good or not, God is active either way. This is a beautiful invitation for us. That every time you read your Bible, whether or not it feels like you are close to God, the word of God is alive and it is active. There is energy. God is moving in your life. This is a precious promise to me that the efficacy of my quiet time is not based on whether or not it feels like God is there. The promise is that every time I look to the word of God, it is alive and active in my life, even if I don't sense it. I'll give you this image to think about. Um, So recently in the last year, um, I don't know if this is um, the right thing to do or if I've just bought into the medical industry's propaganda, but I started taking a multivitamin, all right? So so I started taking one. I don't know if it does anything, but presumably it at least does something, right? And so I take this multivitamin each day, but here's what I'm very clear on. When I take the multivitamin every morning, I don't pop the pill into my mouth and then suddenly feel ready for the day. I don't suddenly feel healthier. I know that it's going to take time and that over time it's doing something in my heart. And I've been thinking about this recently when it comes to the word of God. Like there are going to be times you read the word and it just feels like it pops off the page and is exactly what you need. But I think in the Christian life, there are also going to be times when we read the word of God and we know he is at work, even if we can't sense it, even if we don't feel it in the moment. Hebrews 4.12 goes on this way. It says that this word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This is comparing your Bible to a sword a sword that is able to pierce through someone's body. The idea here isn't just the word of God is alive. It's not just active. It's not just that it has energy. It's that the word of God actually has the capacity to break through your defenses, to break through your resistance. So when I read the word of God, when I open up my Bible, God in some mysterious way is actually piercing through the resistance I have to him, the resistance I have to the truths of the Bible. It's like, you know how the Bible just tells us that through Christ Jesus, our sins are actually forgiven? Sometimes I don't know that I believe that. There are times that I just don't think God could possibly forgive someone like me. And yet the word of God pierces through those lies. The Bible promises that God's going to be with us and he's going to provide for us. And when you read the word, God's word has the power to pierce through even your doubts. I saw this illustrated so beautifully two weeks ago when we were at summer camp. There was this young lady who came and she started sharing her story with me in the coffee shop. And I was listening to her talk. She grew up an atheist. Her mom was an atheist and her dad was an atheist and she wanted nothing to do with God. But then through a bunch of different events in her life, she ended up moving from another country to this country, actually to our area right here. And they ended up moving in with their grandparents. And if you're a grandparent here, this is the coolest story. So they moved in with the grandparents and what they started to do is the grandparents went to church, but the mom and the daughter didn't go to church. But because they wanted to honor grandma, they started going to church with her. And the girl says she goes to this church and it's this tiny little church and she wants nothing to do with it. She thinks religion is silly and she thinks God couldn't possibly exist. But then here's what the 16-year-old told me this week. The 16-year-old looks at me and tells me that it was the word of God being spoken over her and prayer that brought her to Jesus. 
I mean, how remarkable is it that a 16-year-old is aware that the word of God just read scripture over her, had the power to pierce through the resistance in her heart. And here's a 16-year-old girl who is on fire for Jesus, walking with God, sharing her faith with others, all because of what? Because of the power of the word of God that is alive, is active, and it pierces through even our greatest defenses. See, this is what I want you to think about this morning as we think about the Bible. Not some source of information about God, not just something we turn to to understand more about the Christian faith, but about a document contained within the pages of the Bible about these words that actually have the ability to pierce through the resistance of our heart. Since we turn to Matthew chapter 4, I'm convinced that Jesus thought of the Bible this way. Not just of a bunch of words that he was supposed to memorize to know about God, but Jesus understood that this same Bible had the power to change your life, had the power to make you more like the person God was forming you into. We'll see all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, that Jesus is constantly speaking about Scripture. In fact, I'll give you a number this morning that Jesus quoted the Old Testament 78 times in the Gospel. 78 times Jesus quoted out of the 39 books of the Old Testament. If I were to give you a little list here, here's the list of the books Jesus quoted from. He quoted from Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Psalms and Proverbs. The prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, and Malachi. This is a remarkable thing about Jesus. He doesn't just know part of the Old Testament. He knows the scope of the Old Testament scriptures. He knows what the Bible contains. In fact, I would put it to you this way this morning, based on what we see of Jesus in the gospel, that Jesus knows, Jesus knew and loved the Bible. Jesus knew the Bible. He knew it cover to cover. He knew those 39 books of the Old Testament. And it appears to me that Jesus loved the Bible. He was constantly talking about it in his dialogues with others. And so here's the simple principle that I want all of us to understand this morning. It's that living and loving like Jesus will mean knowing and loving the Bible. Not just agreeing with the Bible, not just affirming the Bible, not just showing up to a church that teaches the Bible, but each of us on our own and in our families and in our homes, knowing and loving the word of God knowing and loving the Bible, just like Jesus did. I want to show you how that plays out in Matthew chapter four. And we're going to begin here in verse one. If you have your Bibles with you, it says this. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse two, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, isn't that the greatest understatement in all the Bible? (laughs) He fasted 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. But that's what it says. And I love that Jesus fasts here because I think Jesus is showing us something about fasting. Jesus isn't fasting. He's not abstaining from food to impress God or trying to earn God's love or earn God's favor or control God. Jesus is fasting from food for 40 days and 40 nights because he is preparing himself to begin his public ministry. Jesus does this fast not to impress God or earn his love or favor, but Jesus does this, I believe, because in this moment, Jesus is trying to do two things. He is trying to turn down the volume on the world and turn up the volume on God. He's turning down the volume on the world and turning up the volume on God. And child of God, is there anything we need more in this crazy cultural moment than to do the exact same thing? to turn down the volume on the world and the news and on social media and opinions and politics and all the things of this world and to turn up the volume on God. That's what Jesus is doing here. 
Jesus is retreating from all the things of the world and just saying, I need to listen to God. And I would commend fasting for you if that's something you want to explore and walk down that road. But there's something else I want to focus on this morning that I believe each of us can do every single day to turn down the volume of the world and turn up the volume of God. And that certain something is a phrase that I grew up learning it this way. That phrase, this idea, this thing we can do each day is simply called a quiet time. A quiet time. Now, growing up, this phrase was used all the time with me. This idea that in the morning you get up, you have some quiet time with God and scripture and a prayer and probably a cup of coffee, right? This quiet little space where you would just get before God. This is what I learned growing up. And then I think in recent years, this has become kind of something some people have tossed out because a quiet time, a daily quiet time kind of became like another law, another thing you had to do to earn God's love. And I want you to know, no, it's nothing like that. A quiet time doesn't earn God's love. It is an invitation, a meeting, a standing appointment to meet with the God of the universe. And I think it's a spectacular thing that all of us can embrace. Listen, daily quiet times allow us to turn down the volume on the world and turn up the volume with God. Some of you do regular quiet times. That is a part of your life and your story. And I want to encourage you to continue that, to continue walking in that discipline. For those of you, you've never done a quiet time or you used to do a quiet time consistently, but it's fallen off in recent years. And this morning, I just want to invite you back toward that, toward having a standing regular appointment with the God of the universe where you sit before him. Let me give you some quiet time basics in case this is brand new to you. Some quiet time basics. Number one out of four things. Number one, schedule in space. You schedule it. You decide when you're going to do it. The people who hope a quiet time might somehow happen during the day almost never do a quiet time. We schedule it. We decide when it's going to be and where it's going to be and how long it's going to be. For me, it's 6.30 in the morning in my home office with a cup of coffee before the kids get up. It's 20, 25 minutes of scripture and prayer and a little bit of journaling. It doesn't have to be that for you, though. If you're not a morning person, you can begin a lunchtime quiet time, an evening quiet time. For you night owls, it can be a midnight quiet time. God's up then too. You can do it whenever, but you schedule it. You decide, here's where I'm going to do it. The tree over there, the chair over there, the window over there. I'm going to do it over here, wherever it is. You schedule it out and create a space. Number two is silence and solitude. Listen, there's a great, great thing that happens when we get together and pray and discuss scriptures. But we ultimately must find some place alone with God, where we're alone, where it's quiet, and we can listen to God speak. Silence, solitude are right at the heart of what it means to have a quiet time. The third thing is to find scripture. It's to read the scriptures and it can be anything you want to read. There's no, there's no way it has to be, no pattern you have to follow. This year, I'm trying to read through the whole Bible. Some years I've focused on just the gospels or just the Psalms or just the book of Romans. It can be whatever you want it to be, but you read scripture, you allow God to speak. And then finally, is speaking to God. You pray. God speaks first through his word. You listen and you respond in prayer and in praise. If you've not done a quiet time in a long time, what if tomorrow morning you started that habit? What if tomorrow morning you just decided this is going to start up again for me? And if it's not the morning, maybe lunchtime or evening time, I just want to invite you back into this blessing of a quiet time that turns down the volume on the world and turns up the volume on God. And then again, if you've done quiet times and go, listen, I do quiet times. I just don't get anything out of them. I want us to know that that phrase, I understand it, that I didn't get anything out of it. But I want you to know that that's only true from your perspective. It's not true from God's perspective. 
I want you to know that every single time you open the word of God and do a quiet time, whether you feel it or not, God is accomplishing his great purposes in your life. I get this out of Isaiah 55 where it says this, God is speaking. He says, my word that goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, God says, every time you read my word, every time you hear my word, whether you feel it or not, it will not return to me empty. It will not return to me void. He will accomplish what he desires, which means on Wednesday morning when I had my lousy quiet time, God was still accomplishing his purposes in my life because it's not up to me. It's up to him and his spirit. And the same is true with you in your worst quiet times, in your most distracted ones, where you feel like you haven't focused on God at all, you feel so disconnected and discombobulated, God is still at work in your life through his spirit. I want you to see how the story continues on this way in verse three. It says, the tempter came to him. This is the devil, Satan. It says, if you were the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is tempted by Satan and Satan comes to him with these three temptations. And if you know this story well, you'll know that Jesus responds not with just dismissing Satan, not with saying just, no, Satan, go away. He responds to all three temptations of Satan with scripture. He responds with Bible verses. And I love this, that Jesus is tempted and instead of just blowing him off, he responds with the power of scripture. And in this case, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter eight and verse three that says this, he, and this is God, humbled you, which is the people of Israel in the desert, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, this bread, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And I find it interesting that both Jesus and here in Deuteronomy, we have a connection between eating food each day and consuming the word of God. Actually, all throughout the scripture, there's this idea that somehow in the same way that we need food each and every day, we need God's word each and every day. And that connection is really made tight between food and God. And I think that's something interesting for us to think about how food and thinking about food can lead us to thinking about the word of God. And that's what I want to do with two illustrations, two examples for you this morning. There's two ways I want you to think about the Word of God. You reading your Bible and studying your Bible and having quiet times in the Bible. There's two ways I want you to think about it. And the first way I want you to think about it is with the image of a burrito. A burrito. Now, some of you are like, that looks great. And you are changing your lunch plans to see Casa, right? Like you've already done that. I want you to think about a burrito and how you consume a burrito. You eat a burrito and you take big old bites, right? Because you're trying to enjoy it and consume it. You want to get all the flavors and textures and spices in there all together and just chew it up and enjoy that burrito. Nobody I've ever seen eats a burrito by reaching in and grabbing one bean or one grain of rice and going, perfection, right? No one does that. Why? The point of a burrito is to enjoy it all at once. And I think that's one of the ways we can read scripture. Enjoy it all at once. Read big sections of scripture where you're not trying to dissect every single word or understand every sentence, but you're trying to get the big flow of scripture. I'll put it to you this way. So I mentioned that um, I've been reading through the entire Bible this year. Uh, And when it comes to the New Testament, I'm on track. But when it comes to the Old Testament, I'll give a confession here. Um, As of this week, I was still in the book of Joshua. Which if you do some back of the napkin math and it's August, I'm pretty behind, okay? 
So I decided I got to catch up. And so what did I do? Here's what I did three days this week in a row. I read eight chapters of Joshua each morning. Now, you read through eight chapters of Joshua, you're not going to really notice every little thing, but you're going to get the big flow of what God is doing throughout the book. And I think that's a valid way of us reading scripture to just read big chunks of scripture. And if you don't understand something, you just move on, put a pin in it, say, I'll get back to that later. But you read big chunks of scripture, read the whole Sermon on the Mount one morning, read the whole book of Galatians or Philippians. You read through big parts of scripture. In fact, for most of church history, when people could not read, this was the way they understood scripture. Someone would get up and read the whole gospel of Mark or read the whole book of Romans over them. And it's a way of consuming the whole breadth of scripture. But then there's another way of thinking about scripture when it comes to food. And I want to point out this other way. The other way is to think of scripture like a fine chocolate, like a fine chocolate. Now you eat a burrito to eat as much as you can. You're trying to get as much in your mouth as possible. With fine chocolate, that's not the way we are, not the way we're supposed to eat it, but you know, I get it. But what are you supposed to do? If you're sophisticated, you take just a little bit of chocolate and you put it on your mouth. You taste it, you savor it, you let it roll around in your mouth. You're trying to get every little note and every little bit. What does that mean for reading scripture? That sometimes we want to read as much as we can, but sometimes we want to just focus on a sentence, a word, a verse. Sometimes we want to meditate on just one little thing that God said. And meditation in the Christian sense is not an emptying of yourself, which is in so many philosophies and religions. In the Christian sense, meditation is filling yourself with God's word and allowing it to ruminate in your soul. So I'll take a verse like out of Psalm 45 that famously says, be still and know that I am God. I meditate on that and go, okay, I'm going to think of each word. I'm going to be still and know that he is God. And then I go, okay, I'm going to be still. I got to be still and quiet. I got to know that he is God. I'm going to meditate on a verse. Think of each word over and over again. Or or to meditate on Romans 8.1 that says, but now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I meditate on that. I think on that word. See, there are two different ways I'm suggesting for you to read scripture during your quiet time to read as much scripture as you can in the allotted time, or to meditate on just a little one. And both ways are good and valid and healthy for us because we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It goes on this way in verse five. It says, the devil took him to the holy city, to the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up your hands so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, is it, also, it, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Of all three temptations Satan gives, this is the one where Satan offers a scripture. And Jesus is going to do what all of us should do when we are thinking people about the Bible, is we should interpret scripture with scripture. We should respond to scripture that seems a little off with other scriptures and try to put it all together. And I think this is a beautiful moment for us to stop and pause and realize that as much as I've been talking about enjoying scripture and knowing the Holy Spirit is working in you with scripture, in no way is that in conflict with you studying the scriptures, studying the Bible. Bible enjoyment and Bible study are not two conflicting ends. They fit neatly together. In fact, I'll put it this way. It's that Bible enjoyment requires Bible study that if you are going to enjoy the word of God, if you are going to be deeply moved by God's word, it requires you to know it and understand it, the language and the culture and the customs and the storyline of the Bible. That when I study the Bible, I start to understand the Bible more. Uh, Like I'll put it to you this way. 
I want you to imagine it's been a long time since you've darkened the door of this type of establishment, but you get up all the courage and all the energy and you decide to walk in for the first time for a long time to a gym. <laughs> you're in the gym. Now, some of you, you haven't been to a gym in a long time. You're not really sure how any of this equipment works. If you just rushed in and decided you were going to be in there, I don't think you would enjoy it very much because you wouldn't understand how your body works. You wouldn't understand how the machines or the free weights work. You would end up at best sore and discouraged and at worst very hurt. But what if a personal trainer walked you in? What if you started researching on, here's how my body works. Here's what's best for me and my season. Here's what's best and here's how this works best and how, how all these things work together. When you start to understand the gym, you start to enjoy it. That's why the guys and gals that have been there for decades seem to love the gym because they understand it. They get how it works. And the same is true with the Bible. When you understand the Bible, when you get what it's saying, when you understand what the passages mean and how they fit together, it doesn't decrease your enjoyment. It increases your enjoyment. Again, Jesus responds to the devil and his challenge of scripture with more scripture, meaning Jesus didn't just know the Bible. He didn't just love the Bible, but he understood the Bible. It goes on this way in verse eight. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And on this third temptation, once again, Jesus responds with scripture. And I just want to point out at this point in the story that it appears to me that Jesus knows the scripture. And it appears to me that Jesus loves the scriptures. But there's something else that's happened here because I don't see any evidence that Jesus is flipping through the pages of something. It appears to me that Jesus has memorized the scriptures. He knows the word of God. He knows it by heart. He doesn't know just vague ideas about God. He is quoting the scriptures. It makes me imagine that Jesus remembers this out of Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11. Some of you will know this well. It says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, I think Jesus knew this, that you hide the word of God in your heart. You memorize the word of God. You lock it into memory because in locking it into memory, God does something spectacular and supernatural in your life. When we memorize scripture, I wanna challenge all of us to be a people who memorize scripture. And I know for some of you, this seems so foreign or so um, just not something that's part of your regular life. But I just know that as you memorize scripture, God's gonna do something supernatural in your life as you put the word of God to memory. I wanna challenge you to do that even as we go into this fall. If you think of it as September, October, November, December, four whole months left in this year, what if you memorized one verse per month and gave yourself that word hidden in your heart? This has been happening all throughout the summer in our church hundreds of times. And I'm not exaggerating when I say hundreds of times. This summer, we took almost 400 students to camps between middle school and high school. And over the course of those camps, you saw in these videos that you've seen over this summer, there's these games that are playing, being played, these recreation games that are being played. And there's all these teams competing and they're competing for the ultimate prize, which is the camp champion. But one of the sneaky things we do at camp is that we say the people who win the camp championship, the most points you can earn is by memorizing scripture for your team. And so you memorize the word of God throughout the week. And so hundreds of our high school and middle school students memorize scripture throughout the week. 
In fact, our middle school pastor, Connor Johnson, told me this, that one of their big challenges, the most points you could get, was to memorize all of Psalm 63. And how cool is this? 30 middle school students memorized the entirety of Psalm 63 this summer. How cool is that? But I got to tell you, I heard that and I went, oh man, they're 11 and 12 and 13 years old and they're memorizing the whole Psalms. Man, that just challenged me and stirred me and humbled me to go, I want to be like that. I want to put scripture to memory. And I want to put away the excuses that I tend to make that I just can't memorize things. Like I just don't have that ability. Because maybe you do that too. But you recognize all of the places we've memorized things in life that have no actual functional value for us, right? Like at some point during your educational experience, did you have to memorize all the state capitals? I did. Just in case without looking at my phone, right now I need to know the capital of Vermont, right? Like right now. Or for some of us, like we're in this glorious, maybe the best time of year when football season is starting, right? It's spectacular. So football season, it's up, it's running. And for some of you, not all of you, but some of you, you have like stats. You know who the starters are. You know who the rookies are. You know what last season was. You've got all of these things committed to memory. But then I say like, hey, um, maybe memorize some of the Bible. And you're like, could not possibly do that. There's no way, right? And what's this an invitation toward? Not just to feel like guilty or ashamed, but to say I'm actually capable of memorizing a lot of things. And what better thing to memorize than the word of God? To memorize verses, to put it to heart, to know it by heart and see what God does when you hide the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against God. Here's how the scripture closes, verse 11. It says, then the devil left him. I love that. It's almost like the devil's coming up against Jesus and he sees all these scriptures being thrown at him and says, I'm not gonna mess with this guy, I'll go somewhere else. What if that was true for your life and your family, that just the scripture was so studied and known and loved that the devil goes, I'm not even a try with this person because they know God's word. It says the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. And I read this scripture and I've always read this scripture and thought, wow, how cool is it that Jesus got angels attending to him? And I thought this is like a special thing Jesus gets to have because he's Jesus, right? That's what I always thought. But then I started reading the book of Hebrews. You know what it says in Hebrews chapter 114? He says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Like in other words, angels are these ministering spirits and they're sent by God to serve who? Those who will obtain salvation. Who's that? It's us. How great is this? Like here's a beautiful image if you've not done a quiet time in a while. Tomorrow morning you get up and you do your quiet time and you're sitting there reading the Bible. And in that moment, these ministering spirits, these angels are serving and ministering to you and encouraging and building you up in the name of Jesus. What a beautiful image for you to consider that these ministering spirits wanna be with us. And I believe God's Holy Spirit is there with us as we're reading the words of the Bible and it's coming off the page alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Gosh, what an invitation for us, Calvary. What an invitation for a church and for a family and for an individual following after Jesus to just say, I want the word of God to pierce through my heart and be the central part of my life. So here's what I want to do in closing. I want to give you three very simple challenges. And again, some of you know the word and love the word and you do a quiet time all the time. It's been a normal part of your life for years, if not decades. Can I encourage you if that's the case to not leave this place with a sense of pride, with a sense of hubris, that you're better than other people who don't read the Bible? Would you instead be a servant and humble yourself and maybe encourage your neighbor or your friend or your small group, send them scriptures in the morning, try to stir that up in their life rather than being prideful about your life? But for those of you who haven't done a quiet time in a long time, 
Or maybe, maybe you've never gone a quiet time ever. Let me give you three simple next steps. The first thing I believe we have to do is crush our excuses. We have to get rid of the excuses. And I love the excuse. I use this all the time. So do you. I don't have time to do that. And I've loved that excuse all the way up until a couple years ago where my phone started reporting how much screen time I spent that week. And then I realized, oh, I've got plenty of time, right? I realized that. Listen, I get it. Some of your lives are more busy. Some aren't. I got young kids at home. I get busy right now. But let me tell you something. We all have a few minutes a day to spend and do that appointment with the Lord. We crush that excuse that there's no time. For, for some of us, we like to say things, well, like I've tried to read the Bible. I just don't understand the Bible. It's so confusing. And if you call yourself someone who doesn't understand the Bible or thinks it's confusing, I want you to know that you are part of an exclusive club called Everyone Who Has Ever Lived Ever, okay? <laughs> there are parts of the Bible that are confusing. And here's the glorious thing. You have ne there's never been a time in human history where there have been more resources for you to study the Bible online and in print everywhere you look. If you stop by our bookstore on the way out or go online, you can get a study Bible. That might be the best $30 investment of your life. Just have little notes that explain the confusing verses. For 10 years, I've worked with the ESV study Bible, have loved it, it's blessed me. For 10 years before that, I had the NIV study Bible. It blessed me and encouraged me and helped me through hard passages. Listen, of course you're gonna be confused at times, but there's resources to help you through that. So again, we're going to crush our excuses. What's number two? We're going to create a plan. We're going to create a plan because I hope sometime tomorrow I'll do a Bible study or a quiet time is never going to happen. I hope is not a time on the clock, okay? It just isn't going to work. And then we're going to create a plan of what we're going to read. Not just kind of going through what I call like the lucky flip. You ever done that with the Bible? You're just like, let's see. <laughs> like twice in my life that's worked. But most of the time it's just very confusing. You find a plan. If you're looking for a plan or not sure where to start, if you go on the Calvary website, calvarywestlake.org, there's a whole page on the very front page you can click through to this series where you can get resources from last week's message on worship and this week's message on Bible plans and Bible reading and quiet times. Tons of resources for you. Go to the front page of our website today if you don't know where to start and we will help you figure out how to create a plan for your life. And then finally, I want you to cultivate a lifestyle. I want you to move from I'm supposed to read the Bible to this statement. I am a Bible reader. That is something I do. It is who I am. It is a non-negotiable part of my life. It's just a part of my life that I don't even question whether or not it's going to be there. Like I like to think of Bible reading in the same way of another non-negotiable part of your life that I'm hoping is true for everyone in this room. Do you realize at some point in your life you just made it non-negotiable that you were gonna brush your teeth every day? Do you know that there's no law telling you you have to? You could go the rest of your days and never brush your teeth. And yet you do it almost instinctually out of habit. It's just a non-negotiable part of your day. That's the same thing that's true with the Bible. You just may get this thing where you're not even asking whether or not you're going to read the Bible. You just know it's going to happen. And then with brushing your teeth, I can imagine a someday in your life where you just got really busy or there was a crisis or you were traveling and somehow you fell asleep and woke up the next morning and realized you didn't brush your teeth. There is nobody in this room that would go, oh, I didn't brush my teeth yesterday. My streak is over. I'll never brush again, you know? Like, no one's gonna do that. What do you do? You wake up the next day and you brush your teeth. You pick up where you left off. The same is true with the Bible. If you're reading the Bible and you forget for a day or something gets busy or you just drop the ball, here's my phrase. Don't, just don't miss two days in a row. Just pick up the next day. If you forgot to read your Bible one day, 
God still loves you. Jesus still died for you. You're still his child. The spirit of God is still in you. Just pick up the next day. We make it a part of our lifestyle. We crush our excuses. We create a plan. And finally, we cultivate a lifestyle. And then um, here's the invitation, what I want to close with. Um, Just a psalm that Jesus would have known well. And I just want to read this over you as an invitation for you to make a quiet time with the Lord, a standing appointment, part of your life. It says this in Psalm chapter one, verse one. It said, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. Blessed is the one who reads their Bible, studies their Bible, delights in their Bible, meditates on their Bible, memorizes the Bible, takes Bible verses and texts it to other people and posts it on their social media. Blessed is the one who builds their life around the Bible. And it says this in verse three, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit and season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Listen to me, child of God, there has never been a time where it is more important for us to be planted in the word of God, to turn down the volume on the world, to turn up the volume on God, to plant ourselves in God's word so that fruit may grow out of our life, the fruit of the spirit, the spiritual fruit, so that we might not wither away, so that everything we would do would prosper. This is an invitation for you. It's an invitation for your family. It's an invitation for our church to be the kind of people, the kind of church, the kind of families that are planted in the word of God and to see what God does through his word, the living and active word that if you allow it to, could change your entire life. This is the invitation for you this morning to become the type of person who moves the word of God to the center of your life. And if you do that, I know you'll be glad you did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this morning. Thanks once again for your word. It's living, it's active. I just even believe in this moment for all the people online, for all the people in this room, your spirit's doing something in their hearts, in my heart this morning. God, I just wanna pray for those who have done a quiet time for a long, long time. May it continue, may it bear fruit in their life. May they be blessed. And I pray for someone in this room who hasn't done a quiet time in years or maybe never. God, I just pray tomorrow morning all over our valley, there would just be little quiet times happening little moments, little appointments with you. I pray that for someone in this room, they would just begin a new habit, a new season, a new thing in their life and that you would bless them and they would prosper, that they would bear fruit in all things. So God, thank you for your alive and living and active word of God. God, may it pierce through even the most hardened hearts in this room. We pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. Well, we've talked this morning about a quiet time, an opportunity to listen to God, to hear the word of God speak and for us to respond in praise. This morning, I want us to take a moment just to consider as we close here, to consider the truth of what it means to allow the word of God to speak in the quietness of our life.